Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. I do want to jump right into our message tonight, and they did put me on assignment to bring actually one of those models of prayer. And obviously, I, don't, I think we all know, and obviously the group that comes here on a Wednesday night would know that uh, we're, in de- we're in a desperate place uh, as, a, as a nation and really as a world. Um, missiologists and historians call it late decadence, and it's just really where uh, we're in a moral decay, where everything that is ungodly is on the, uh, is on the rise, and, um, and we're, we're feeling the effects of it. And I was talking to a, a, a world-renowned historian recently, and he was saying that in 5,000 years of recorded history, there have been 26 cycles of human history that have pretty much always have repeated themselves, and we are right on track to actually be in the same place where, when you get here, there's never been a society that has ever recovered from where we are. That's the bad news. Everybody say, but God. All right, so we are in that place uh, where of this late decadence, and, and most of the empires and most of the civilizations that rose to power and kind of did what we do and are where we are, um, they, they all kind of lost their way and about the same age we are, around the 240-year mark. If you look at the Egyptians, the Persians, the Trojans, the Greeks, the Romans, the British, any empire you study, they all, they all, they all rose to power. Uh, God, uh, in some ways, really, God, God is a blessing kind of a God so that when you do the right things, you, you succeed from it. But then when you get it, you actually abuse it, and then it puts you back into bondage, and a lot of times they don't recover. In fact, none of those societies that I mentioned, um, none of them, none of them were conquered by external enemies. They all imploded and rotted from within. And uh, there was a quote, uh, uh, it's not in my notes, I should have put it on the screen here, but I literally just thought about it during worship, and I just, so I'm going to pull it up for you, just read it to you, but um, there's a quote recently by the founder of Dubai, his name is Sheikh Rashid, and he's concerned about his nation as well, and let's just listen to this quote from him, he says, my grandfather rode a camel, and my father rode a camel, and I ride a Mercedes, and my son rides a Land Rover, and my grandson is going to ride a Land Rover, but my great-grandson is going to have to ride a camel again. <laughs> he said, why is that? He was asked, and his reply was, hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men. Weak men create difficult times. Many will not understand it, but you have to raise warriors, not parasites. And he goes on to say, and then he, and add to that the historical reality that all great empires, the Persians, Trojans, Egyptians, Greeks, Romans, and later years, the British, all rose and perished within 240 years, and they were not conquered by external enemies. They all rotted from within. So the question of the day really is, what, what, what do we do about that? Well, the Bible is pretty clear. Show us our verse, everybody. This is 2 Chronicles chapter 7. You know this verse. If you're at a prayer meeting, you know this verse, all right? So you understand this. And I think the most important word is the first one. <laughs> and that is just if. It's God's up there like, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and say it out loud and, and if they'll seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This is our hope. 
And everybody really knows that inherently. I think you know that. You wouldn't be here on a Wednesday night at a prayer service if you didn't know that and really believe that. And I found in nearly 40 years of ministry that the hurdle that most people have to overcome in order for this to be a reality isn't the inspiration, it's the information. They really just don't know what to pray for. They don't know how to pray. So you'd find yourself kind of into the moment, but out of words. And for a lot of us, even that looks like your personal quiet time with God. In fact, that's probably why they call it quiet time, because it got just way too quiet, right? I don't know what to say. I'm here in this moment. I want to spend time with God. I don't know really what to say. And so one of the passions of my life for ever since I was a youth pastor to now leading our church was helping people how to pray, and not really on the inspirational side, but on the informational side. And so years ago, I came up with some keys to, to making prayer work, and this is not the message, I just want to give it to you, and that is you have to understand what I call simply the priority of prayer, and the priority of prayer simply means that we pray first. And that's why I named the book Pray First. So for most people, prayer is not your first response, it's your last resort. And we don't want it to be our last resort. The Bible says in Mark chapter 1 that very early in the morning, while it was still dark, dark Jesus got up, left to a, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. But he did it very early in the morning, and he made it a priority. I'm going to encourage you to make prayer a priority. Again, how I say it is prayer should be our first response, not our last resort. So most people say, well, my God, all we can do now is pray. No, 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 that should have been the first thing you did. Can I get a better amen out there, everybody? All right. So we, we're going to do it first, not last, okay? The second thing that we have is, and when I teach prayer, as I call it the place of prayer. And all these are, uh, start with the letter P, it's a preacher disease. I don't know why we do it, okay? So there you go. But so you have the priority of prayer, but then you have the place of prayer. Going back to that verse in Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place. He had a place that he prayed. And I want to encourage you not only to make it a priority, but have a place where you pray. But the third P in helping people understand how to make prayer work is what I call the plan of prayer, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Now, I'm going to give you the next two here in a second, but what I don't think a lot of people realize is, is that you can actually find one of the models or the plans of prayer, that all throughout the Bible, there are prayers that have a certain order to them. In fact, many of them have the same order to them. And when Jesus would have taught the Lord's Prayer, he wasn't teaching you a prayer, he was teaching you a plan for prayer. So if you study how rabbis would have taught, they actually taught with outlines. So when, when the disciples said, hey, teach us how to do that, it's in Luke chapter 11, he says, when you pray, say, and he wasn't giving you a 20-second prayer, he was giving us seven elements of prayer to pray. So in other words, spend time worshiping God, hallowing his name, then spend time on his kingdom coming and his will be done, then spend some time with your needs, give us this day our daily bread, and then you could jump into, hey, I'm going to get my heart right with God and with others as I forgive, forgive me while I forgive others uh, in the same way, and then lead us not into temptation, and it goes on, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever, and God's people said a good. It's the plan, and that's the app that the, your pastor was talking about that literally now hundreds of thousands of people are using because it's not that they're not inspired, they're just not informed. They don't know what to do. And so today, while I, was, I came in early enough to spend time with the college students, you guys ought to be so thrilled that you have a college in your church training the next generation of leaders. It's, it's, it's so good. And so I taught them one of the models of prayer that they asked me today. I'm going to give you a different one. 
But before we get into that one, let me just give you the next two Ps because I, I, I know people are going to say, hey, you said there were five and you only gave three, so I'll give them to you very fast. There's what I call the power of prayer, and you understand that, that prayer is not just conversation with God, but it's also confronting the devil. And it's this moment where God will show up. And the Bible says that when the book of Acts, when they prayed, they all raised their voices together in prayer. And the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. So that's power. That's what I call a New Testament prayer. And, and I would teach it, but you guys are already doing it. It's just so cool. And then the last one I call the persons of prayer. Understanding that there's a Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you can relate to each one of them differently in prayer, and I would love to teach you that, but we don't have time, all right? What I want to give you tonight, though, open your Bibles to the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and your pastor already mentioned that when he showed you the app, one of the prayers that I had, I had pray. So I taught the students today the prayer model that I like the most, which is tabernacle prayer, but today I'm going to give you the prayer I pray the most. And it's the prayer of Jabez in 1 Chronicles chapter 4. Here we go. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez because she gave birth to him in pain. So his name actually mean, means pain. And don't name your kids that, parents. Don't do that. It's like a boy named Sue. It's not nice, okay? Now, we don't know why he was named pain. We don't know if her delivery was tough or if that's, that was how she felt about him. But either way, it's not good. And it goes on. It says this in the next verse. But Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. And I'm going to time out right there and point out to you in his prayer, he really never asked God to deal with where he is. In other words, he wasn't saying, hey, take this pain from me. He actually went after the things that God had for him, not the things he just wanted to be healed from. It's very important because a lot of times your pain can hijack the rest of what God wants to do in your life. Just think about that a little bit. Okay. So he mentioned four things. He said, oh, that you would bless me and that you would enlarge my territory. Let your hand be upon me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. So he didn't ask God to take away the pain. He says, if I can achieve or if you can give me these four things, I will be free from pain. And in a list of 600 names... There's this honorable mention. If you read this part of Chronicles, it's just this person begets this person, 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 begets this person. And then all of a sudden, the Bible pauses and gives this one person, gives them this honorable mention because of the kind of prayer he prayed and God granted his request. Now, these are the four things that I try to pray every single day of my life, and I'm going to give them to you. And they can come in the form of just in a one-minute prayer, just say these four, God, give me these four, or I can spend 20, 30, 40 minutes on praying for these four, and I'm going to give them to you, and I'm going to promise you this. It's a prayer that will get the attention of God. Are you ready, everybody? I said, are you ready, everybody? All right, so here's the first one, and that is we're going to pray for blessing. He said, oh, that you would bless me indeed. Now, I have to teach this a little bit, and in different church contexts, I have to teach it differently, and I don't think I have to teach it to this church like I have to do for others, because I think you already understand this in many ways, because you're in an absolutely good church. You, you, have, a, you have a church that, in my opinion, has solid biblical theology on the topic of blessing, and that is that God wants to bless you, and the word that's used in Scripture is prosper, and that's a word that a lot of the outsiders like to tag on us as a negative. Are y'all one of those prosperity churches? 
and they, and they see it as a negative, and probably the way they understand it, it actually is a negative or some of the things they have seen. But you need to know that God wants to bless you. Psalm chapter 5 says, For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous, and you surround them with favor like a shield. He actually wants to bless you. Can I hear a good amen, everybody? The question is, why does God want to bless you? And the wrong answer would be just because he likes you and he just wants to, you to have more stuff. That's not the answer. The answer is in the word prosperity. So the word prosperity literally means in the Hebrew, and don't miss this, it means that wherever you get on your own, God will push you farther. So you're able to get here, but God wants you to push you there. And he prospers you, and he pushes you ahead for a reason. In fact, let me show you a verse out of Genesis that says, Then Isaac sowed in the land, reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. <laughs> Watch the next verse. And the man began to prosper, continued prospering, until he became very prosperous. So if God's not afraid of the word, neither should we be. Right, everybody? Okay. But again, the question is, why? Why does God want this? Why does God want you to be blessed? And, and, and third John gives us the answer. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and in health so your soul can prosper. And I'm going to show you one more verse out of Genesis chapter, chapter 12 that I will bless you so that you can read it out loud so that I can. That's the answer. So God, listen to me. Don't, don't ever forget this. God does not want to meet your need. He, want to get, he wants to give you more than you need so that you have something to give away. And so one of the worst things you could do is just pray for your own needs. No, no, no. God, just don't give me my needs. Give me more than I need, and I will take what I have, and I'm not going to enjoy it myself. I'm going to use it to bless the world around me. Now, what this requires is for you to have some big, bigger picture thinking in your mind. So one of my passions, too, is to get people out from a limitating uh, mindset or a lack mindset into an abundance mindset. That God, God will do more, he, do, he will do more exceedingly, we'll read it in a minute, exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or even imagine. Now, I kind of grew up in a lack place. <laughs> I'm a Cajun from South Louisiana, y'all, okay? We're 50th on every list there is. Come on, somebody, where y'all at? I always say, maybe 49th, thank God for Arkansas. Anyway, all right, so... I'll, sorry, I know we're probably too close to mention that here, but anyway. But I, we're really in a place where there's just, I, I grew up in a place where there was just a lot of lack. So even when I got in ministry or even became a Christian, it was hard for me to dream big things. And so I, have, I thank God I had people around me that continually encouraged me to dream big dreams. And what I'm doing today, it blows my mind. I promise you, nobody's more amazed at what I'm doing than me. And, and, and so years ago, I think it was back in 2000, um, it was in 2008, I was with my dear friend John Maxwell, um, and it was his 61st birthday, and he invited me and, and six other people to come down to South Florida, where he lives, to celebrate his birthday and played a little golf, which I was happy to oblige, everybody. And so um, I, I went down, and he wanted to go, we had dinner together to play golf, and he wanted all of us to go see a movie. And I'm not a movie person. I probably see one every five to seven years. I'm just not into it for some reason. I don't know why. I'm just not. And, and, the, and the movie, The Bucket List, had just come out. 
And, um, and so we wanted to go see this movie, of which, by the way, I cannot recommend this movie to you, but it has an incredible moral to the story. Um, but I can't recommend it to you. All right, there's just stuff in it you just shouldn't see. And uh, you wouldn't want Jesus with you when you saw it. Anyway, let me just say it that way. And so, um, and that should be your filter. Anyway, all right, that's a different message. Okay. Y'all just got quiet as a mouse in here when I said that. <laughs> it wasn't like, amen. No. Anyway, so we were watching this movie, and I'm enjoying the popcorn mostly. And, but, um, but after the movie was over, John says, hey, and to the seven of us, hey, do you, um, do you have a bucket list? In other words, if you don't know the movie, by the way, these were these two people that were dying uh, of, of terminal illnesses, and they decided to put together a list of things they wanted to do before they kicked the bucket. And one of the guys was very wealthy, and he could finance it all. And what they found out, basically, the moral of the story is all the stuff that they thought would be the most fun weren't fulfilling, and there were more things in life that were actually more fulfilling, and that was the good part of the story. But John said, do you have a bucket list? And I didn't. And, and in John Maxwell fashion, he says, okay, everybody's assignment is go back to your hotel room, but before we play golf tomorrow, we're going to have breakfast, and everybody's going to give me at least 10 things you want to do before you kick the bucket. Long story short, I have a 91-item bucket list to this day. And it, it puts me in a different mode men, mentally that of not out of lack, but in abundance that God can do some amazing things. But I will give you a little, uh, little thought on this because I would encourage you to go do it if you haven't done it. In fact, I want to encourage you, 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 you sons of, of, of Pastor John, to, you need a bucket list. You need things you want to do before you kick the bucket. And I, and I have ministry goals and all these types of things and thrill things and it's, it's fun. But there's a tension do you put things on the list that you know can never happen? Like it has no chance. And let me answer it for you. Yes, because we have a God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you another story, a real quick story. So the next year I'm all fired up about it and I'm teaching about dreams. And if I had time, I would tell you the power of dreams, that dreams, the word dream in Hebrew is so close to the word health that sometimes the translators don't even know which word to use. That one of the greatest ways for you to be healthy is to be in a mindset of things that you could do for God, that you're, you're in a dream mindset. It says in Psalm 127 that when the Lord restored the fortunes to Zion, we were like those who dreamed and our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. There's, there's a direct correlation to your happiness and what your bucket list or your dreams are. And I was teaching this to our church and I said, but there is this tension that do you put things on the list that can't happen? And I said, I have, because there's one on there I know can't happen. And I spent seven years in Colorado Springs as a youth pastor, literally one mile from the gate of the Air Force Academy. And so every day I walked out of my house and I saw these gliders and I saw guys jumping out of airplanes and you go to the football games and they would have, you know, B-1 bombers coming by and stealth fighters and it's just, and I fell in love with all things Air Force when I lived there. And back then they had a civilian ride program if you were famous. You had to be like a senator or congressman. And I thought, one day I want to do that. Well, they discontinued the program. Nobody does this anymore for a variety of reasons. And I said, but I still have it on my list, even though I know it can't happen. And sitting in the audience right in the middle of our church were two full bird colonels who were listening to me. And they looked at each other and said, let's see if we can make this happen for PC. 
That's what they call me back home is PC for Pastor Chris, all right? Let's see if we can do this for PC. Now, this is in July, and I didn't know this, but for the next five months, they're actually vetting my name through the Pentagon, and I don't know this is happening. So now we're in our Christmas services. It's a true story. And, these, and my team let these two full bird colonels come into our green room during our Christmas services five months later, and they're in full military dress uniforms with a letter in hand. And I figure it out before they say anything to me. And I said, are you serious? Is this getting ready to happen? Don't mess with me on this. And they said, on behalf of the Secretary of Defense, we formally invite you to be a part of a civilian ride program in an F-16 fighter jet. Um, and, they said, and, they, and they said, under two conditions, you can pass the physical, like, what's up with that? You know, I got that. I just got, next. <laughs> and if, then if you'll, secondly, if you'll do the training that's required, like, yeah, I'll do that. And I had to go do a day of training, which by the way, the training was all how to end the flight. <laughs> It was all ejection seat training. Isn't that comforting? Yeah. So um, <laughs> he said, save your life and, and give the jet back to the taxpayers. That's what he said. Anyway, um, so, so anyway, but I ended up going and I did an hour and 10 minutes in the air. I flew it myself. I barrel rolled it a bunch of times. We did nine different maneuvers. We pulled, uh, we pulled nine Gs twice. Um, it just, it was, I have a one minute video if you want to see it. Yes or no? You? you? All right, show it to them, guys. I know. All right. <laughs> Seriously, though, I, uh, riding home, I, I, I was an hour ride, uh, hour drive back home from Montgomery back to Birmingham, and I, and I had a come to Jesus moment <laughs> in the car because I was throwing up. No, I'm just kidding. I was, um, I, but I, I, I had actually repented to God for saying this can never happen. And I just want to say that to somebody in this room because you have a God who's just a big God. And he needs you to, you need to realize that he wants to bless you. And it's not for airplane rides, by the way. It's for something much bigger than that. And, and Jabez understood this. I am a person who is marked by my pain, and I will not be marked by my pain. God can bless me. He can give me more than I need so that I can be a blessing. Here's the prayer I pray. Lord, give me more than I need so I can be a blessing to the world around me. Here's the second prayer. And that is, he prayed for influence. I call it influence. Enlarge my territory. You know why? Now watch this. Don't miss this. Because all of these actually are progressive. In other words, you can't do the second one without the first one. So in other words, what do you do with blessing? You use it to do more than you were currently doing. And that word is influence. Enlarge my territory. I want to do more than I was really planning on doing. And here is that verse. I've already quoted it several times, but I just want you to see it. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. This is the kind of God that we serve. 
I, I made a trip uh, back in the late 90s uh, when I was still on staff at my home church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and to go study the cell church model of this, of this very, very large church, more than 300,000 people. They had 100,000 students uh, in their youth group, and they had all 300,000 people in the church in small groups, and pastors sent me there to go study their small group model, and that's another story. I actually shared that story today with the students. But I actually got to be there for a weekend service, and they had massive altar calls, people getting saved. It was, it was phenomenal. I actually went through the motions. When I go to a church like that, I always believe that every church can teach me something. And to this day, if you came to Highlands, I could tell you all the things that we do and where I learned it, where I saw it from somebody else. In fact, when I see something I like, and I'll do it here on this trip, it happens every time. I say, you guys do this better than us for now. All right, then you're going <laughs> to have to come study it from me in just about a year. Give me time. But anyway, but they had this massive altar call, people getting saved. So I just actually jumped into the altar call and went to the room because I wanted to see the process. The most fascinating thing I've ever seen in my entire life, they would, they would pray for them, lead them to Jesus, give them follow-up information, and they would give them their first Bible. And before they did that, they would, took them to this little photo booth with Polaroid cameras where they could get instant developed pictures, and there was somebody, as soon as it developed, they would cut the face of that newly saved person out of the picture. And in the first Bible they would give them, there was this person on the front cover, on the inside of the Bible, this person preaching to tens of thousands of people, and it was a body, but it had no face. And they would actually take their picture, slide that face in, in, underneath the picture, so they were the person preaching. And they were giving them the idea right off the bat that God's not only a blessing God, but he wants to, he wants to enlarge your territory of influence. And it's a beautiful prayer to pray because if you'll do it, God will do that for you. God will increase the sphere of your influence. And by the way, he can do that through your giving, through your serving. Through he, listen to me. Don't, he never intended you to stay where you started. Ever. And some of you have settled in, all right, I figured out my realm of Christianity. No, no, no. God, give me more than I need and then enlarge my territory. There are some of you that have been greeting for a long time. It's time for you to lead a small group. It's time for you to go to that next level where you'll not only grow, but it'll make a difference in the lives of the people around you too. Are you listening to me, everybody? It's very important. Very important. Now, if God blesses you and gives you more than you need so you can be a blessing, and now your territory influences, it gets bigger and larger. Let me tell you what's going to happen next, and that is you're going to get in over your head. Oh, let's show them the prayer. Lord, use me so that my life may make an eternal impact in the lives of others. Okay, that's, you need to see that. Sorry. Sorry. But if you get blessing and then influence, it's going to feel like, oh my goodness, I can't do this. This is too big. And that's why the third thing that he prayed for, he says, let your hand be upon me, and I call it presence. Everybody say blessing. blessing. Come on, say it out loud this time. Blessing. blessing. Influence. Influence. Presence. presence. So this is the hand of God upon me. Why? Because I can't do it. You took me to a place that is outside my ability. Ready for this? God loves to do that. And he loves to put his hand upon you. Now, the hand of the Lord was always the sign of the presence of God. I'll show it to you in the book of Acts. The Lord's hand 
was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. This is the presence of God that settles on people. And for some of you, God wants to put his hand upon you to do what he's called you to do. So even when I said, hey, step out of your comfort zone into some greater things in ministry and in your giving and in your serving and in your dreams, it made you nervous. And it's supposed to. But if your dreams, if you're, if you're not dreaming big dreams, then, then I believe it's insulting to God. Because God likes to take frail humanity and put his hand upon them. And that's why he tried to show you that in just about every person he used in Scripture. Because David is number eight. In fact, Jesse didn't even bring David into the lineup when, when they were looking for a new king. You have, you have Moses the stutterer. You have you have Paul who persecuted and killed Christians. And God was notorious for looking for people who didn't have the ability and the capacity on their own. And he chose them, put his hand upon them, and then great things happened. And that's a realm of Christianity, honestly, that I want you to experience. And I'm convinced that's why he chose a guy like me. Y'all, I'm, again, I'm from, I'm from Louisiana. And even in Louisiana, I was a C student on my best day. <laughs> Where are my C student people at? Where y'all at? Please help my brother out. Thank you very much. Okay, where are you straight A people? Raise your hand, raise your hand. We're not crazy about y'all. Put your hand down, all right. Always messing up the curve. <laughs> y'all can't be sick one day, not one day, all right? Anyway, all right. I have, a, I have five kids, and I think I told you this last time. I don't have five kids because I like kids. I have five kids because I like my wife. Come on, somebody, but anyway. Uh, and that's a different message, but I have stuff to say. Uh, but I have a daughter and four sons, and my oldest son is really smart. And it obviously came from his mom's side of the family, because literally I was a C student on, on my best day. And, um, but he's like really smart. He, he made a 33 on the ACT, got a full ride scholarship uh, for his undergrad, did it in three years instead of four, stayed and got an MBA, like really smart. In fact, when he got his final report card, <laughs> when he got his final report card for high school, we just happened to be all standing in the kitchen when he got it. And he, I never forget this. He opened up the little envelope and he pulled it out. He goes, oh, look, mom, dad, look, it's my report card, my final report card of high school. Look, look, all A's again. He says, I never made a B in my entire life. I said, that ain't nothing. I never made a B in my entire life either. Just get on out of here. <laughs> I don't need to hear from you. Move on out of here. Okay. Now, I, I, I'm joking with you. And I look in my eyes. This one's real for me. I have a real inferiority complex. I built, as your pastor said, God has put his hand upon me, and I, and I had the privilege of building, of pastoring one of the, the largest churches in America, and nobody's more amazed than me. If you knew me, you'd be on your face worshiping God right now. Like, if you knew, like, you go, oh my goodness, he's a, great, he's a great God. And I don't understand it. It's just God's hand upon me. And God wants to do that in your life, but you have to pray for it. God bless me. I need you to bless me. Bless me indeed. Bless me to the point where I don't have just what I need. I have more than I need so that I can be a blessing. And if you do that, Lord, let the, let the sphere of what my current influence is be enlarged. I want it to be larger. Oh my goodness, I'm in over my head. Now I need your hand to be upon me in my life. I need your presence in my life. And I was so intimidated throughout my life and felt inferior that I used scripture to keep me encouraged that God would put his hand in my life. And I'm going to show you the one for everybody in this 
this room who fights with any type of inferiority, I'm actually going to give you the verse that for more than 20 years was on a piece of paper on my bathroom mirror that I could quote and read every morning when I got up and brushed my teeth and got ready for the day, and here it is. Not that we are competent in ourselves. So my grades would not qualify me. I am not competent in myself to claim anything for myself, but my competence comes from God. Watch the next verse. It gets even better. He has made me competent as a minister of the new covenant, not because of my degrees, not because of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, it's the spirit that gives life. And the spirit, you know what the word is in the Greek there, everybody? The word spirit is the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. And the word pneuma is the word spirit in English, but that's not even the real word. It's one of the words that was so difficult for the translators to translate that they didn't have a word, so they created the word spirit. But if you go study it in any Greek dictionary, the word pneuma is translated, the, the closest actual word for it is breath. So you wouldn't want to call it Father, Son, and Holy Breath. It, didn't, it just doesn't sound right, right? Because, but it's not even breath. It's, it's not the word breath. It is breath. It's the, it's, 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 it's the thing you may have even sensed tonight in worship or in prayer. It's the thing you can't see, but you, it's wind in your sails that propels you. And where is it? I can't see it. That's the word. And that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's this invisible force that you can't see, but I'm telling you, you know when he's there. And when he does, he propels you to places because the presence and the power and the hand and the breath and the wind of God is in your life. And we need that to do what he's called us to do. Are y'all following me, everybody? I get fired up about this. So I literally pray, I literally pray these prayers, show them the next prayer. Lord, I need now, because you've blessed me and have all this influence, you have to be with me, because what you've called me to is too big for me. Well, if you get blessed, and now you have more than you need so that you can be a blessing, and now your influence is greater, and now God's hands upon you, let me tell you the fourth thing that's going to happen. All of hell is going to hate your guts. That's a fact. Because he doesn't mess with anybody who's not doing anything. The way I say it is, if you're not butting heads with the devil, you might be walking with him. If you go the opposite direction he's in, it's going to happen all the time. And that's why the fourth prayer that he prayed is, okay, if all those first three things happen, then I'm going to need protection. Blessing, influence, presence, protection. Blessing, influence, presence, protection. That God, that you would keep me from harm. You'd keep from me from evil. Why? Because the devil, 1 Peter says, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I don't have the rest of the verse up here, but the rest of it says, don't let that freak you out. Resist him. Stand firm in your faith. You have the power through the name of Jesus to overcome every demonic principality, but you do have to do it. In fact, the way I say it is this way. If I told you Tonight, that, that there's is somebody going to break in your house, and I've got information that tonight is that night, and tonight is the night, and they're going to take everything that matters to you. When you wake up, everything that's, that is precious to you will be gone. <laughs> what would you be willing to do tonight? I'll tell you what you're not doing. You ain't sleeping. 
And you'll probably be waiting, waiting up for them with two of your friends named Smith and Wesson. Come on, everybody. You, all right, listen to me. You have an enemy who has every intention of destroying your life. Don't let that freak you out. Just don't be asleep. Don't be na naive to it. And use the weapons that you have, which is the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen right there. Psalm chapter 3 says it this way. Oh, Lord, I have a lot of foes. How many are my foes? Somebody can come play behind me, make the rest of this sound even more spiritual. Come on. All right. How many rise up against me? Many are saying of him that God will not deliver him, but you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. You're my glory. You're my, the lifter of my head. Romans chapter 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than a conqueror through him who loved us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what do we pray for here? Here's how I pray. Lord, strengthen me in the battle and rescue me from the battle. Because sometimes when we pray, we're actually in it. And other times we pray, God, rescue me from it. I don't even want to be in it ever. And this is a prayer I pray every single day of my life. God, I want you to give me more than I need so that I can be a blessing. Now, Lord, use me. Let my influence increase for your glory and for your name. Oh, my goodness, I'm in over my head. God, I need your hand to be upon me. God, I'm going to need your help because this is too much for me. Oh, my goodness, now the devil's everywhere. Lord, strengthen me in and protect me from, rescue me from every evil attack of the enemy. So I'll close with a fun little story. Our church, as your pastor said, is 21 years old. And when you're starting a new church, um, you're looking for ways to let the city know you're there. And so we were one year old, and I was trying to figure out some event to do. And we started our church in 2001, which of course is the 9-11 year. And if you remember 9-11, it happened on a Tuesday. So this, the first year anniversary of 9-11 was on a Wednesday. And we thought, I know what we'll do, because we had every Wednesday night services as well. We'll do a 9-11 remembrance service for the first year. And I rented the biggest hall in Birmingham and just was going to just have all the, we had, you know, put every dollar we had at that time into the advertising of this event, invited speakers, worshipers, and we're going to have this incredible kind of a patriotic, thing, but then bring them all to God kind of event. And we were very excited about it. On, on September 4th, 2002, so one week before, we're in our Wednesday night service. And right before I step up on stage, my phone rings and it was my wife. And so people are worshiping. I pull off to the side, said, hey, baby, where are you? Where are you? I thought she was supposed to be here. I said, what's going on? Where are you? And she goes, because I was at the office all afternoon prepping and setting for church. She said, when our daughter, 13-year-old at the time, daughter came home from school, something was in her eye. And she said, it felt like a piece of metal in her eye. So I took her to the doctor. Well, the doctor sent us to this optometrist, and the optometrist sent us to a surgeon. She went, see, Chris, we've been to three doctors. I said, why? What are they? She goes, there's nothing in her eye. Her, her, um, her, the nerve that feeds her eye is being deteriorated. Her optic nerve is deteriorating. They did a scan on her. She has lesions all over her brain. I said, what do they think it is? They said they think it's multiple sclerosis. And she's now she was literally blind in that eye in a day. And I said, well, what do, they, what do you do for that? She said, Chris, there's no cure. 
I said, is she going to die? She goes, she goes, no, but it's, it's severe. She'll have complications the rest of her life. And she's sobbing on the phone, and I'm getting ready to go on stage, and I barely got through the service. I tell you, church, sometimes you never know what, you, what your leaders go, what they're going through when they're here week after week after week feeding you, feeding. They, they're humans, too, going through things. I honor you men and, and every one of the leaders in this church for how you serve. It's just I have such the greatest respect. And I go and I melt down. Now, I've, I've been around this game long enough, and it's not a game, but you know what I mean. I've been around this long enough to know this is demonic. But I don't respond well. And so on Thursday, the next day, I cancel all my appointments, and I don't get out of bed. And I'm really a one-year church planner in a city that doesn't even know who I am. And I remember praying this prayer, and I'm very embarrassed to say this. I said, God, if this is over this church in this city, in this, what you've signed me for, like, I'm not your guy. And I don't want this. I want Sarah. If this is because of this, pick somebody else. I'm not your man. And so, same thing Friday. I'm in the same mode. Saturday, we have a Saturday morning prayer, and I somehow forced myself to go to it. And I'm actually like one mile from the church, and we always do like a little five-minute, you know, read a scripture and devotional to get kind of people stirred up. And I don't have a word, because I've been in bed for two days, moaning and complaining and just sad. And I'm at the red light, and I don't recommend this. Don't do this. But, but I had my Bible on the passenger chair, and I was like, man, I have to have a verse. And I just flipped the Bible. I just one flip. And it plopped open to, um, to 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And the whole, the whole discussion in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, don't get, all fire, don't get all crazy about bodies. Bodies are bodies. It says, the devil basically cannot steal your life. And then it ends with, and so stand firm then. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And I had this like this, just a little jolt of the of faith hit my heart. And I went and we had a great prayer meeting, but Sarah's still blind, getting worse. The next day, Sunday, I'm walking through. I'm just I'm, People can tell something's going on. And one of my friends came up to me and said, what's going on with you? And I said, Sarah's blind. They think it's multiple sclerosis. And he says, my dad um, is, is, a, is a neurologist, but he's in Montgomery. Let him see her. I said, I said, Hamp, they already have the scans. She has lesions all over her brain. He says, let him, just let him see her. So we go down there, and he scans her, and there are no lesions, but she's still blind. They're gone. The lesions just are gone. I'm like, praise the Lord. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's kind of one of those, she's blind, but she doesn't, that disease is not there anymore. And so I was kind of happy. You know, I, think, I think this is good. And so we fast forward to three days later, we do this event, and 2,000 people came, and 600 people gave their lives to Jesus for the first time on that Wednesday night. And on Thursday morning, Sarah woke up with perfect eyesight. Because listen to me, look at me. God wants to bless you. You're not supposed to just be praying for your needs. You need more than you need so you can be a blessing. What do I do with it? Enlarge your influence. Do things that you never dreamed you could do. 
And if you do that, you're going to feel so in over your head. Oh my goodness, Lord, you're going to have to have your hand upon me. And if you do that, all of hell is going to come against you. But we have the name of Jesus that is greater than any other name. And that after the name of Jesus, every demon has to bow. Amen, everybody?